0: The House and Senate both will return today. The House is scheduled to stay in session through Friday, while the Senate will stay in session through Thursday. This week in the House, they'll return today with the first vote set for 6.30 p.m. At that time, the House is scheduled to consider 29 bills under suspension of the rules. On Tuesday and for the balance of the week, the House will consider two more bills under suspension and will also take up S-4524, the Speak Out Out Act. This week in the Senate, they'll also return Monday with the first vote set for 5.30 p.m. At that time, the Senate is scheduled to proceed to a roll call vote on cloture on the nomination of Maria del R. Anton Giorgi Jordan to be a U.S. District Judge for the District of Puerto Rico. Now to the Border Patrol. On Saturday, under pressure, the Commissioner of Customs and Border Enforcement, Chris Magnus, tendered his resignation to President Biden. The White House issued a statement Saturday evening saying that Biden had accepted the resignation. Biden had appointed Magnus less than a year ago. DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas had told Magnus on Wednesday that Magnus could resign or be fired. For several days, Magnus refused to resign. Mayorkas redistributed Magnus's job responsibilities and Magnus eventually folded. When he did, he issued a statement saying, quote, I resigned because I believe this decision provides me with the best path for advancing my commitment to professional, innovative, and community-engaged policing, end quote. No one has yet explained why Mayorkas felt the sudden urge to get rid of Magnus. Given that House Republicans had him in their sights, it may have been simply decided that he would serve nicely as a sacrificial lamb to what was expected to be an incoming House Republican majority. Deputy Commissioner Troy Miller has returned to the role of acting commissioner. Now to President Biden's student loan debt scam. On Thursday of last week, Federal District Judge Mark T. Pittman, a Trump appointee, struck down President Biden's student loan debt scam, declaring it unlawful. Quote, in this country, we're not ruled by an all-powerful executive with a pen and a phone, he wrote. Instead, we are ruled by a constitution that provides for three distinct and independent branches of government. Pittman addressed the core issue at play directly, writing that the 2003 law on which the Biden administration has based its policy, quote, does not provide clear congressional authorization for the program proposed by the secretary, end quote. He added, quote, The Court is not blind to the current political division in our country, but it is fundamental to the survival of our republic that the separation of powers, as outlined in our Constitution, be preserved, end quote. The Education Department stopped accepting applications for the program in light of this ruling. The Department of Justice has filed an appeal. As of this writing, 26, 26 million debtors have applied for the program. Now, let's go to election results, and let's start with what we know. The Senate will remain under the control of the Democrats. Of the 35 seats that were on the ballot last Tuesday, in 33 of the contests, the seat stayed in the hands of the party that controlled it before the election. The only two exceptions are the seat in Pennsylvania, in which Democrat nominee John Fetterman defeated Republican nominee Dr. Mehmet Oz. And Georgia, where incumbent Democrat Senator Ralph Raphael Warnock and Republican nominee Herschel Walker will go to a runoff on December 6th. So, as of right now, the Democrats have a net gain of one seat in the Senate. If Warnock wins the runoff, the balance in the Senate will be 51 Democrats to 49 Republicans. If Walker wins, the balance will be what it has been for the last two years, 50-50, with Vice President Kamala Harris casting tie-breaking votes. Among the 36 governor races that were on the ballot, only a few seats flipped parties. The two Republican-held governorships in Maryland and Massachusetts reverted to Democrat control for the next four years, and the Republicans succeeded in flipping a seat in Nevada, where Republican nominee Joe Lombardo defeated Democrat incumbent Governor Steve Sisolak. At the state legislative level, Democrats cleaned up. In Michigan, they flipped the state House and the state Senate to take complete control of state government for the first time in 40 years. In Minnesota, Democrats flipped the state Senate and they took trifecta control. In Wisconsin, they won enough seats to deny Republicans a veto-proof supermajority that would have allowed Republicans to override a veto from incumbent Democrat Governor Tony Evers. As for the House, it's still too close to call. As of Saturday night, Republicans have won 211 seats and Democrats have won 203. The magic number is 218, so Republicans need to claim another seven seats to flip the chamber. There are 21 House races that remain uncalled. Of those, 10 are truly toss-ups where neither party is a significant favorite to win. If we allocate the 11 races that have clear favorites to those favorites, Democrats pick up seven seats and Republicans pick up four. So Republicans would be at 215, still three short with 10 in play. In those 10 races, Republicans currently lead in six. Here are the top 10 toss-up races remaining. Arizona won, Incumbent Republican Dave Schweikert is trailing by about 2,500 votes, with 86% of the votes counted in this lean Republican district. Arizona six. this is an open seat currently held by Democrat Ann Kirkpatrick. It was rated lean Republican. Republican nominee Juan Kiskamani has a 1,400-vote uh, lead, with 87% of the vote in. California 13, this is a Democrat-held open seat that's a real toss-up. Republican nominee John Duarte leads Democrat Adam Gray by 84 votes as of Saturday afternoon, but only 61% of the vote has been counted. California 22, incumbent Republican David Valadeo leads Democrat Rudy Salas by 53 to 47%, but only 53% of the vote has been counted in this toss-up district. California 41, incumbent Republican Ken Calvert leads Democrat Will Rollins by about 2,100 votes in this lean Republican district, but only 67% of the vote is in. California 47, Democrat Katie Porter leads Republican Scott Baugh by about 2 points and 4,300 votes in this lean Democrat district, but only about 72% of the vote is in. California 49. Incumbent Democrat Mike Levin has opened up a four-point lead over Republican Brian Marriott in a race that was listed as a toss-up, with 71% of the vote in. Colorado 3. Incumbent Republican Lauren Boebert has taken a very small 1,100-vote lead over Democrat Adam Frisch, with less than 5% of the vote still out. State law calls for an automatic recount if the margin is half a percentage point or less, and right now Bobert's lead is about four-tenths of a percent, so this one may be going to a recount. New York 22. Incumbent Republican John Katko is leaving, and this open seat was rated a toss-up. Republican Brandon Williams has about a 4,000-vote lead over Democrat Francis Connaught, with less than 5% of the vote outstanding. And Oregon six. This is a new seat. As a result of the twenty twenty one reapportionment, it was rated a toss-up. Democrat Andreas Andrea Salinas has a four thousand vote lead over Republican Mike Erickson, but twenty-one percent of the vote is still left to be counted. Here's what else we know. Republicans did a better job of driving turnout among their partisans than did the Democrats. More Republicans voted than did Democrats, and Republicans won about five and a half million more votes for the House than did Democrats. The Republican advantage was even larger in states with competitive Senate races. It was a five point advantage in Pennsylvania an eight point advantage in Georgia and an 11 point advantage in Arizona. So how did Republicans lose Senate races in Pennsylvania and Arizona and get forced into a runoff in Georgia? Because they lost independence. According to the national media exit poll, 31% of the electorate identified as independent, and they broke for the Democrats by 49 to 47%. In Pennsylvania, where they accounted for 24% of the vote, independents favored the Democrat candidate by 58 to 38%. In Georgia, where they accounted for 24% of the electorate, independents broke 53 to 42%. For Democrat Raphael Warnock over Republican Herschel Walker. In Arizona, 40% of the voters identified as independent, and they broke 55 to 39% for Democrat Mark Kelly over Republican Blake Masters. In Florida, by contrast, independents voted for Republican Governor Ron DeSantis by 53 to 45 over Republican turned independent turned Democrat Charlie Crist. In 1994, Republicans carried independents by 14 points and netted a 52-seat gain. In 2010, Republicans carried independents by 19 points and netted a 63-seat gain. In 2006, Democrats carried independents by 18 points and netted a 30-seat gain. In 2018, Democrats carried independents by 12 points and netted a 40-seat gain. Here's something else we know. If Republicans solidify their lead and recapture the House... It will likely be with their smallest majority since 1953, when following President Eisenhower's first election, Republicans controlled the House with just 221 seats. It's actually possible, and in fact likely, that the Republican majority in the 118th Congress will be smaller than that, maybe as small as 219 seats. The Republican majority in the 104th Congress, which was the Congress elected in the Republican Revolution of 1994, was 230 seats. In that election, Republicans netted a gain of 52 seats. The Republican majority in the 112th Congress, which was the Congress elected in the first Obama midterm election in 2010, was 242 seats. In that election, Republicans netted a gain of 63 seats. So how was it possible? That in those two elections, Republicans could have such huge gains, but not have majorities that much bigger, relatively speaking, than the one they're about to have? It's because in both elections, they started so much farther back. In 1994, they began that election cycle with 176 seats in the House. In 2010, they began with just 178. So even though they had massive gains in both elections, their majority in 1995 was just 12 seats, and in 2011, it was just 24 seats. Contrast that to this year, when the Republicans began the cycle with 213 seats, just five seats away from the majority. Remember, in 2020, when Democrats went into election day convinced they were going to pick up a dozen seats or more, they ended up losing 14 seats to the Republicans. That's what accounts for the huge difference between this year and previous years. And for the history buffs among you, you should know that the high point for Republicans since the birth of the two-party system was the 67th Congress, which was in session from 1921 to 1923, following the election of Warren G. Harding to the presidency in 1920. Republicans held 302 seats in the House in that Congress. The low point for Republicans in the House was just 16 years later, following Franklin Roosevelt's second election victory in 1936. In the 75th Congress, in session from 1937 to 1939, Republicans only had 88 seats in the House. Now to leadership races. Not surprisingly, there's disappointment among Republicans on Capitol Hill in both houses. The disappointment has led some to raise questions about the leadership of the Republican conferences in both the House and the Senate. In the Senate, six Republican senators, Marco Rubio and Rick Scott, both of Florida, Josh Hawley of Missouri, Mike Lee of Utah, Ted Cruz of Texas and Cynthia Lummis of Wyoming, are seeking to have the leadership elections postponed. They are currently scheduled to take place on Wednesday, two days from now. Citing the ongoing runoff election in Georgia, some of these senators suggested it is premature to hold elections before the current election cycle is finished. Josh Hawley of Missouri says he will join with his new colleague, Senator-elect Eric Schmidt of Missouri, in voting against Kentucky Republican Mitch McConnell for another term as leader of Senate Republicans. In the House, there's a similar dynamic. As of Friday, the Washington Post was reporting that the House Freedom Caucus is calling for a delay in the leadership contest, which are currently scheduled to take place Tuesday, that is tomorrow. So far, no one has stepped forward in either house to openly challenge either Mitch McConnell or Kevin McCarthy for their leadership position. And that's our Washington report and our election update.